know this about me, uh, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. I'm actually a December baby. I was born uh, on December 14th, so literally just a few days ago. Uh, so it was exciting to celebrate a birthday. We can sing now if you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's not. Please don't sing. Please. You know, it's funny. Every time that it's my birthday and someone sings happy birthday to me, I'm like, please, I don't want to be the center of attention. And yet here I am, the center of attention this morning. And so please, please uh, bear with me today as I work through that. But honestly, the, the Christmas season is, is my favorite time of the year. And I think it's because as a December baby, I equate it to all the excitement, the celebration, the, the coming together, the gifts, the presents, the family time. It, it's just one of my favorite times of the year. I envy you, you know, June, July, and August birthdays because you get two celebrations every year, but I don't. I get one, and it's right now, December, that's my month to celebrate. And I, it's just awesome because growing up, I didn't necessarily equate the Christmas time uh, to the birth of Jesus, but just to know now, growing in my faith, walking with the Lord, that we get to gather today to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is truly the reason for the season. It's just amazing. It, it, this is just a great time to celebrate and to be around. I remember growing up as a little kid, my mom would pull out all all the decorations and we would decorate the house together and she would bake like three to four hundred cookies that's not an exaggeration you can ask my wife it would literally be cookies everywhere if you want a box of cookies just write your name on a list and I'll make sure she gives you a cart and she literally to this day makes three to four hundred cookies and it, the house would just smell so good and we would start putting up the decorations I grew up in Florida but we had a fireplace in our living room I know that's a little odd but we would put a fire in the fireplace place and we'd be sweating because it's still 90 outside. It's Florida. We don't have a white Christmas. We have a sandy and dry Christmas. Um, but it would be it would be great. It'd be homey. It'd be cozy. She'd put on music on. And it was just something I always remember growing up. And as a family, we would gather. We would travel all around, whether it was to uh, New York, to Virginia, to North Carolina. Sometimes we'd stay and meet in Florida. We would always try to get whatever family we had together. And it was something that I remember growing up. And it's something I've tried to replicate in my family now. I do the best I can. I'm not the greatest at it. I can't compete with my mom. She was probably the goat of Christmas decorations, but I try to do what I can, you know. And so this year I told my wife at the top of November, I'm going to get everything set up for Christmas. You don't have to worry about it. Show of hands here. Who sets up their Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving? Wow, y'all some Christmas haters. <laughs> You do all that work for 30 days? <laughs> Set them up in October, y'all. Bump. <laughs> Just kidding. But for me, I'm like indifferent. If I can get to it, I'll do it before Thanksgiving. But this year, I did it Thanksgiving morning. I mean, I woke up, I got my kids ready, and I pulled out all the decorations. There was no cooking at all Thanksgiving morning. It was Christmas time. And I got the kids up. We were decorating everything. They were helping me put up the tree and decorations around the house. And I just remember thinking, I want my wife to walk out and just be in awe. I want her to be like, man, he did it. I asked him to do it, and he did it. I wanted the brownie points, right? Like, I got it all. I got it prepared. I got it taken care of. I got it handled. I wanted her to be in awe. I wanted it to be perfect. I promised her I would do it. I didn't get to it at the top of the month, but I got to it before Thanksgiving dinner, and that's 
what mattered. I was prepped. I was ready to go. And I think a lot of us, we find ourselves in that same mindset this holiday season where we want to get everything prepared, right? We decorate the house. We get it ready to go for Christmas. We even clean it before we have guests come over, right? You clean your house before guests come. My wife was actually cleaning last night. And uh, my daughter was like, Mommy, why are you cleaning? No one's coming over. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's smart. And she's like, uh, Megan was like, we clean no matter if someone's coming or not. We want a clean house. But still, we, sh we had to get prepared, right? We had to get ready. We get ready when we go to a special event, right? Men, you go get your hair cut. Women, you get your makeup done. You shower. You put on a nice outfit. We have to get prepared before we go to a special event. We do this in every area of our lives. We plan we prep, we clean, we fix, we organize. We have to get ready before we take that next step, right? Would you agree? Do you do this? Yeah. Or is it just me? Yeah, yeah we do this. Okay, well, you're here with me. Well, and you know, it got me thinking because our pastor reached out to me and gave me the topic of today. And I was literally like, man, I literally just did this beforehand. As I was prepping for Christmas, I wanted everything to be perfect. And what I began to realize was we do that same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. We feel like we have to fix ourselves or get prepared before we encounter God. In fact, you guys did that this morning. When you woke up, what did you do? I'm going to church. I need to get dressed and I need to look cute because I'm going to go see people. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even lie to me. You know you did. <laughs> You got ready, and you came to church. I'm glad you made it. You guys look great. Another pat on your back. You did a, did a great thing, but we do that. Yeah. We feel like we have to get prepared, that we have to get ourselves ready, organized, put together before we can take that next step. If I could be honest with you, I have lost count at the amount of times that I have invited someone to church, and I have heard a few of these excuses, like this one. I have a lot going on in my life. If I can just fix some things then I'll come. I'll give the church thing a try. Just let me get this in order first, and then we'll see what we can do. Right? Maybe you've said that before to someone when they invited you to church. How about this one? I've experienced a lot of church hurt, and I just don't think I'm ready to give church a try again. Let me try to heal through some of this. Let me work through this on my own, and then when I'm ready, I'll let you know, and I'll come. Some of us may have shared that before. Maybe we've invited someone and they've shared that with us. Or how about this one? You know, I've made a lot of mistakes. I just, you know, I don't think God can use me. I think if you got to know me, like really got to know me, you wouldn't accept me. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want me to come. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've hurt a lot of people. Church isn't for me. I've lost track at the amount of times I've invited someone and I've heard a response like that. Let me just dot, 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 and then I'll come. Let me fix this. Let me prepare this. Let me organize this. Let me get ready. And then I come. And I've begun to realize that it's a self-inflicting barrier. It's an expectation that we put on ourselves because let me tell you, God doesn't do that. We do. It's as if we can't take a next step unless we get everything situated on ourselves. We just can't. We got to wait. But today what I want to do is I want to address this mindset as we head into this Christmas season because the truth is no matter who you are, or where you are, or what you're currently going through, no matter what problems you are facing, God wants you to know this. Just come as you are. And so today I want to bring you a message. If you're taking notes, come as you are. Please, if you're taking notes, bold this, underline it, highlight, exclamation point it, asterisk it, whatever you got to do to make it pop on your page, please come as you are, because we're going to really break this thought down 
today. But before we begin, let's take a moment, let's pray together as we dive into the word. Would you pray with me? All right. Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together today. Father, I pray that you use me, you use this message to open people's hearts. I pray as I pray right now, our heart's soil is fertile and ready to grow. Father, I pray that you expand our minds. You allow us to be encouraged no matter what we're currently facing. Father, that we find our encouragement that we are longing and looking for. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be in this room together and to get to know you in a new way today. Jesus, we love you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, what I want to do is offer you guys three situations, three buckets, three whatever you want to call it, uh, that we tend to find ourselves in that keeps us from taking that next step. And what I want to do is also show you how God plans to respond to it. Sounds good? All right. So number one is we often come broken but we will leave healed. We come broken and we leave healed. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, there is a laundry list of things that we wish were just different about ourselves that we look at and say, "Mm, that's not that good. I wish that was different. And I promise you, if you take a moment right now and you start thinking about it, you won't think of one. You'll think of many. You'll think of three, four. In fact, this morning when you got up, You did just that. You had to become face-to-face with the problems that you're currently going through, the things that you find in your life that are broken. Some of us, we look back at our holiday childhood memories. This season doesn't bring joy. It brings sorrow. It brings pain of the past and of what we didn't get to experience or what we did, unfortunately, experience. For others, we look at our family situation right now, and we're seeing, seeing that same type of brokenness unhealthy relationships, family broken apart. We're just, it's filled with a lot of hurt. It's broken. For others, we look at uh, our finances. We open up that bank account and instead of saying our finances are broken, we say the app must be broken because this ain't right. (laughs) But we open it and we're filled with anxiety. We're filled with worry. Wondering, God, how are we going to make it through? I, I can't afford I can't afford this right now. I I can't even afford groceries, let alone a a Christmas present for someone. We're just filled with anxiety, with sorrow. We get worried. Other of us, we we look in the mirror and we see our addictions. At the top of 2023, we said, this is going to be the year that I get clean, that I get it right. And we're just seven days away from Christmas. And what are we saying? 2024 is the year that I get it right. We said that in 2022 and 2021, 2020, it's the cycle, all right? We can't can't seem to fix it. We all have something that's broken about us, something that makes us feel inadequate, something that makes us feel like we are falling short. And the best part is we do our best to hide it, right? We act like everything is okay. How many of us have been asked, hey, are you doing okay? And what do we say? I'm fine. When really we're dying inside. We're not fine. But I just, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to show you. I'm not ready to talk about it. I still think that I can figure it out on my own. And even the worst fear on top of that is let alone someone notices it and then calls it out. Oh my Lord. Imagine if someone sees your brokenness and then calls you out on it. That's the biggest fear that we have. Please don't get close enough to see my pain. Stay arm's, arm's length. 
keep your distance. I don't need you to get close enough so that you can see how I really am. We would hate it. But what I love about the text that we're going to read today is we see this brokenness put out on display for all to see. We're going to be reading John 8, 2 through 11, and it's about the woman who was caught in adultery, and she was thrown at the feet of Jesus. I mean, brokenness and all. Caught red-handed. I mean, in the middle of her mess. Heck, if you take this text literally, she was literally caught in the act of adultery, which means she full exposed, y'all. Yeah. They caught her in the middle. They grabbed her and drug her and threw her at the feet of Jesus. Everything out in the open. Ain't no hiding nothing. She caught. And everyone can see it. Imagine. If you can, let's go ahead and turn to John 8. We're going to be in verses 2 through 11. If you have your Bible, please open it up. Uh, That'd be amazing. You're the blessed one today. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We're going to bless you with two large ones on the side. And for our online family, we'll have it on the lower third for you. It says this, John 8, verse 2. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. This is Jesus. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd, saying, Teacher! They said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Man, imagine if we get caught in our brokenness and the repercussion is stoning. But here's the thing. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. You know, to pause, I I love this section because if you look at it deeper, this is like a side note. I'm not going to be able to unpack this. Unpack it on your own. But what I love is it wasn't really about her, was it? No. It wasn't about her brokenness. It was about them trying to catch Jesus. And so if I can just encourage you, because we all have those negative thoughts, we have the negative self-talk, the enemy likes to feed us this, your brokenness is not the problem. What, what's, actually trying, what's actually trying to take place is it's trying to keep you from coming to Jesus. It's trying to keep you from gaining access to the person who you can find yeah. healing. It has nothing to do with you, and it has everything to do with Jesus. But getting back to this topic here, I love this one action that he does. We see that he stooped. You see, in the Hebrew, the word that this actually is meaning is that he showed grace. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The word in the Hebrew is Cain, but it's written C-H-E-N. I took Hebrew when I was going to college, and anytime you see a C-H, it's a So I'm not going to do that for you because I just can't do it appropriately and I don't want to pain you with the negative noise, but it's a and a cane, okay? So put those two together. But it literally means to stoop and to show mercy. And what I love about the text is when the woman was thrown at him, it was like he was unfazed by her brokenness. He was unfazed by it. And in fact, he was unfazed by the Pharisees coming and trying to condemn her. He was just unfazed by it all. What does he do? He stoops, he extends grace, and he starts writing in the sand. I want to encourage you. He wants to extend grace to you too. Verse 7, it says this. They kept demanding an answer. So they were pestering him. Jesus! Jesus! Let's stone her, bro! (laughs) 
What does he say? They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Yeah, yeah. And then what did he do? He extended grace again and started writing in the dust. So he didn't just do it once. Wow. He did it twice. What we're missing is the context is in the Hebrew uh, kind of situation here. That would have been like a gasping moment. They would have been like, he's bending down again? When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you no lord she said and jesus said neither do i so go and sin no more you know if there's one thing that you can take away from this one main thought that could bring you encouragement is this you're broken and that's okay you're broken and that's okay go ahead and look to your neighbor and say i'm broken and that's okay i'm broken and that's okay. And you know why? Because for a lot of us, we're under this impression that we need to make ourselves clean, that we need to fix ourselves up, that we need to sort our lives out before we can do this church thing. We act like being broken is not okay, that it's wrong, that there must be something wrong with me, that no one else around is broken, but I am. Why can't I get it all together? That that's, couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, he sees this woman the same way that he sees us. The only difference between this woman and us is that she was physically dragged and thrown at the feet of Jesus. That's the only difference. Because here's the thing. He knew her sin before he saw her, and he knows yours as well. And what was his response? He extended grace. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't phase him. It's okay to be broken. We all are. What Jesus is actually saying here is this. It's okay to be broken, but don't deny my repair. It's okay to be broken, but please don't deny his repair. This is where the Pharisees got it wrong. They were ready to condemn her. He was ready to save her. He came to let us know that he can help. That he has the answer for our problems. He has the tools to repair what we can't. But we have to allow him to. Jesus has no intention on leaving us where we are. He knows that we need him. It's the reason why we get to celebrate in seven days. is because he knew that we needed him so much that he came down to solve the problems that we couldn't. To fix the issues that we couldn't. To repair what we couldn't. He came to put us back together. The thing that we thought was unfixable, he can fix it. The pieces that are left around our lives, he wants to put them back together and make it into his masterpiece. What, he, what we see as broken, he sees as repairable. I love this verse that's found in Matthew 9, 12. It says this. This is what Jesus is saying. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You're broken, and that's okay. 
He knows it. We do too. Hence, my favorite part of this is he wants us to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. In the Hebrew tradition, if you sinned, you would offer a sacrifice. What he's saying is no amount of sacrifice you can make to repair yourself. Let me tell you something. You can't fix your mess by yourself. There's nothing that you can do. You can't fix yourself by yourself. We're inherently broken. So stop trying. In fact, allow him to enter and to do the healing that we so need him to. If he sees us for who we are and he's saying that's okay, what is he actually saying? Come as you are. Stop trying to fix things on your own. The God of the universe sent you the answer. All he needs you to do is come as you are in your mess, in your brokenness. Just come as you are. The second situation or moment that we may find ourselves in is this. We come doubtful, but we'll leave hopeful. Come doubtful, leave hopeful. You know, when I think of this phrase, come as you are, there is no group of people in the Bible that I feel encapsulates it the most than the swindlers that are the disciples themselves. They were a bunch of hooligans. They were crazy, man. Let me tell you, they're a bunch of average men and women, broken, doubtful. In the Hebrew tradition, you had two choices in life. You were either selected to be raised up in the temple as a spiritual leader, or you took on the occupation of your mother or father and did some, uh, some sort of trade work. All of the disciples were fishermen, tax collectors, normal average Joes, which means what? They were looked over. They weren't good enough to be raised up in the temple. So they had normal jobs and were living normal lives. They weren't seen as good enough. They were looked over. And I can promise you this, they probably doubted God. They doubted that there was anything greater for them. They were just like, this is the hand that I've been dealt and that's okay. I got to be fine with it. This is the life I'm called to live. There's no hope. There's no point of dreaming for a greater tomorrow. This is what it is. What's the point? And I feel like a lot of us, we take that same mindset on ourselves. In fact, when we invite people to church, what do we, what do we hear or what do we say ourselves? Nah, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't need it. Or how about this? Hey, you should become a superhero. You should start serving. You should get in a light group. Find community. Start tithing. Get your money right. I promise it'll fix it. What do we say? I'm good. Trust me, it ain't going to fix nothing. I've I've lived this life for 10, 15 years. You don't know me. I'm unfixable. Trust me, I'm okay with my problem. We're doubtful. They had that same mindset. They didn't think anything could make a difference in their lives. But what happens is we take it to the extreme and we begin to say, God, do you even care? Do you even see me? Do you see my problems? Do you care to fix them? We see this illustrated in Mark 4, 35 through 41. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it. This is an interesting story, but I feel like it really encapsulates this mindset. It says this, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. 
So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowd behind. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and he began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care? How many of us have said that recently? Don't you see me struggling, God? Do you even care? We're drowning. We're going to die. Right, right. <laughs> Jesus! Right. <laughs> if we were in that boat, they're probably like, Jesus! We're going to die. Wow. I mean, I would, don't, don't beat yourselves up. I would respond the same way if the wind is coming and the boat is filling up. I'd be like, homie, we're about to die. <laughs> Do something, please. <laughs> but we find ourselves in that same, yeah. that same thought process when we're facing problems. Yeah. God, are you going to do something? God, don't you see I am drowning over here? I'm struggling. But this is, I love this. I love this point of view because the disciples have been walking with Jesus for quite some time. They have seen his power at work. If you read your Bible, they've seen a couple miracles by now. Yet they still doubted. They still didn't believe that God cared, that God saw their struggle. Here we go, verse 39. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? That even the wind and the waves obey him. I'll be honest. I understand life is hard right now. Especially this holiday season, I'm sure for a lot of you, you understand why it's a time for celebration. It's the Lord and Savior Jesus. It's the reason for the season. You get that. But it doesn't take away the fact that you've been hurt and that this season is just painful. I feel like a lot of us, when we're in this exact moment, when we're facing a problem, we're confused. We're doubtful. And we wonder, God, do you even see what's going on? Some of us begin to question him. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Don't you see I'm struggling? I can't make it through this. And here's the encouragement. God is saying it's okay to doubt. But don't question my power. It's okay to doubt, but don't question my power. You need to know that God sees you. He's not absent from your situation. Trust in him. Know that God is in control. Stop trying to figure out your problems on your own. Stop making sense of a situation that you're not meant to. And please don't feel like a hypocrite for doubting God and still coming to church, saying, God, what are you going to do? It's normal. We've all been there. Don't be hard on yourself this holiday season. If something doesn't work out the way you planned, it's going to be okay. What is Jesus saying in this moment? Be still. I am in control. All you have to do is have faith, and he will take care of the rest. I love this verse found in Isaiah 41, 13. It says, for I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God, 
And I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help, help you. Please, church, it's okay to be doubtful, but I promise you will leave hopeful. God has a plan, and all he's asking for you to do is to be still and trust that he is in control. Bucket number three, situation number three, as we conclude this, this morning, is we come lonely, but we'll leave loved. We come lonely, and we leave loved. A lot of you may not know this about me, but growing up, I was an only child. So I had friends growing up, you know, I had a few neighbors, but the majority of my life as a child, I was alone. I had to fend for myself, I had to play for myself, I ate by myself, I did things by myself. And as I've gotten older, I've looked back and realized I was lonely. I was so lonely. And I made a lot of life decisions based out of that loneliness. You know, I did two things constantly growing up. I can see the cycle of my life looking back. I tried to make friends, and I kept people at an arm's length. Why? I didn't trust people. So for so long, I tried to find a group of friends that I could connect to that would like me for me. Yet every time I felt like they only were friends with me because they had something to get out of me, that they were looking for something. If I had nothing to offer, they didn't want to be around. And so I didn't trust people. I kept them at an arm's length. I always felt like if someone wanted to get to know me, it was because there were strings attached. And I began to make silly decisions out of this feeling of loneliness because although I didn't trust people, I desired community. And so I would start hanging around the wrong people. And I got into a lot of legal trouble. It's a conversation for another day, but I got into a lot of legal trouble, a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache, a lot of time wasted because I was lonely. And I couldn't have the, um, the eyes or the mindset to address the fact that I was feeling that way. It was hard. In fact, recently I, I realized that my greatest fear for so long was actually dying alone. My wife and I, we leave this group called Symbus, and it has a section where it talks about caution flags. I only had one. It was dying alone. This fear of loneliness was everywhere. I thought that I was fine, but it was still prevalent in my life. This fear of being lonely constantly going back to that mindset, constantly going back to the cycle of trying to do things on my own, trying to figure things out on my own, yet just desiring community. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. Even now, you're like, man, that's me. You're speaking about me. That's not your story. That's my story. We're lonely, y'all. But you know, it's funny. Once I stepped into church, that subconscious choice that I was making was hit with a new reality. People genuinely wanted to get to know me. I have lost track at the amount of times I have filmed a true life story with our creative team and someone says, I came into church and it was weird. <laughs> Y'all are just so friendly and smiley. I'm not used to that. That was me. I walked into church. I'm like, wait, why do you want to get to know me? What's in it for you? Where are the strings? What are you trying to get out of me? Arms length. But as I kept coming, as I kept desiring that community, I began to realize it wasn't weird. In fact, it was something that I wanted, something that I was craving. It wasn't long before I found myself getting connected and building relationships with people that honestly I'll have for the rest of my life. I think of our pastor, pastors Joshua and Kyra Redding. I remember the first time he approached me at our old church in Florida. 
He walked right up and said, hi, my name is Joshua. I'd love to get your number. I'd love to get to know you. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, wh why do you want to get to know me? You, I got my people. I don't, I don't need, no, nah, I'm good. But for some reason, I exchanged my number. I'm glad I did because they brought me closer. They would invite me over for food. They would disciple me. I got to watch my nephew grow up. I got to be there for the birth of my second nephew. I gained a family. In fact, I wouldn't have met my wife if it wasn't for them. A relationship that changed my life forever. I think of the trans, Pastors Chow and Krizia, and the opportunity that I had to meet them. They would always call me, hey, you want to get food? Hey, let's go to a movie. Let's, let's go to the gym. Let's go do something. Let's go hang out. And guess what? No strings attached. They wanted to hang out just to spend time with me. I wasn't used to that. I think of someone like Lance, big man Lance. At the time, I, I didn't know him for more than about a year, a year and a half, but I asked him to be the best man at my wedding. Why? Because in that short amount of time, I realized if I ever needed something, he was there. He had my back, and guess what? He expected nothing in return. No strings attached. One decision of getting plugged into a church solved all of my issues. I found a new community. I found a new purpose. I began to feel like I finally belonged somewhere. I walked into church lonely, but I left feeling loved. In this holiday season, if I can leave you with one thing and one thing only, is please don't do life alone. You don't have to. You don't have to go through life. You don't have to journey through your pain by yourself. And I promise you, we're not looking for anything from you. We just want you. It's okay to feel lonely, but know that he is present. I began to realize when I was feeling lonely, he was always there. When I was looking for community, he was busy knitting one together for me. When I was looking for a place to grow, he was finding a place where I could do just that, where I could find everything that I needed. I love this verse that's found in Psalm 16, 8. It says, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. How about Matthew 28, 20? The words of Jesus himself, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, I know that you're broken. You can find healing here. I know that you have doubts. We all do. But you can find hope here. I know that you've been lonely. But you can find a family here. Jesus is calling you to do this, to stop worrying about everything and just come as you are. What he's telling you is this. Let's work it out together. We can figure it out together. But church, let's not just stop with us because if we're believing that he can heal our brokenness, if he can give us hope when we're filled with doubt, if he can give us a family, if he can show us love when we're feeling lonely, that means he also can do it for another. The promise is this, is that God didn't send the savior of the world to die for our sins just for us. He did it for others too. And the amazing thing about being broken, about being doubtful, about being lonely is because we see it in ourselves, we could see it in others. So who do you know who needs this? Who do you know who needs to really find the reason for the season? Who do you know, a friend, a family member, a coworker who's longing for something like this the same way that you are? Who needs the healing that only Christ can provide? Who needs the hope that only Christ can provide? Who needs the love and the family that only Christ can provide this holiday season? I know you know of someone and they need it just like you do. 
So please take a moment before you leave today and think of at least one person to invite to church, one person who needs what you have gained access to. You're sitting in everything you've been looking for and they're praying for something just like this. Be the key. Don't let someone remain broken this year. Don't let someone remain doubtful this season. And please don't allow someone to remain lonely this holiday season. Bring a friend, bring a coworker, bring a family member this upcoming weekend. Encourage them to come as they are, that they don't have to fix anything, that they don't have to remove their doubts, and it's okay if they're feeling alone and they don't trust people. Just tell them to come as they are, because don't we know that Jesus has everything that they need? Yeah.